Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, the senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. My message tonight, everybody, is called Religiously Non-Religious. It is called Religiously Non-Religious. And I'm hoping tonight for you to help dispel some misconceptions about religion. I want to try and make sense of the concept of religiosity. And I want to help us gain more insight into what faith in Jesus is really about, uh, really about. And I've really considered a couple of groups. I'm considering religion-averse non-believers. So maybe an atheist or an agnostic. And I've also considered religious believers. And I, I want to bring clarity to the difference tonight between faith and bad religiosity. So let's just pray and let's invite God to speak to us. And I know that church is a supernatural place and, and God can speak to you tonight in ways that I can't. And He might say things to you that I don't. And so we're just going to invite God to do that tonight in Jesus' name. So why don't you close your eyes? Let's pray. If you're comfortable, why don't you reach out to God as well? Let's reach out and ask Him to speak. So Father, we just thank You so much for tonight. God, we thank You for Your house. We thank You for this great church, Lord, that You've placed us in. And Lord, we just invite You tonight to speak to us, God. We just invite You to have Your way. Help us, Lord, to leave here tonight, God, different and changed. And Father, more like You and Father, more like who You've called us to be. So Father, do a great work in us tonight. Do a supernatural work in Jesus' mighty Name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to read from James chapter 1, verse 19 to 27. And we've been reading a passage from this section a lot lately uh, in regards to our Compassion Weekend. And we're just going to dive into it a little bit more tonight as we talk about religiously non-religious. So it says this, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Scripture suggesting here that as you apply the Word of God in each application, you are reminding yourself of who you actually are. Verse 26, those who consider themselves religious... And yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. You know, I know sometimes the Bible seems difficult to understand and some passages are, you know, perhaps difficult to unpack, but some are so black and white. Like this scripture means what it says. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. What, what does that mean? It means those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Um, you know, the original language puts it this way, those who consider themselves religious, no, I'm just kidding. 
Verse 27, verse 27 says this, and this is a scripture we were reading over Compassion Weekend. It says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Amen. Have you ever heard someone say, or have you said, I'm not a religious person? Have you ever heard a practising slash professing Christian say that? That can be very confusing. Have you ever heard someone or have you said, don't push your religion on me? (laughs) I remember in high school being invited to a party on a Friday night and I politely declined and I said to the person, I I can't come to the party because I have church. And this was literally the person's response. Don't push your religion on me. And I was like, what, like at the party? I'm not even coming. Like, what do you mean? Me just mentioning that I was going to engage in some sort of religious behaviour, she perceived that as me pushing my religion on her. Last one, have you ever heard someone say this or have you said, it's not a religion, it's a relationship? And uh, if you're like me, if you grew up with MySpace and you're a Christian in that time, this was definitely in your bio. It's not a religion, it's a relationship. I used to hang my hat on that statement at my school when people would talk to me about this. I'd say, it's not a religion. I'm not a religious person. I'm in a relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about that. Even more confusing than some of those questions is that I'm here tonight, a religious leader, who in a moment will read from a religious text about how the religious leaders of Jesus' day missed the heart of the religion that they professed religiously. What does it all mean? What do we do with that information? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) So a few definitions to help us tonight as we get into religion. Religion uh, secularly is defined as a system of faith and worship. It can also be a a service and worship of God. Human beings' relationship to the divine is another definition of religion. Uh, this, uh, this definition is a pursuit of great devotion. And that's why we can say things like he follows the footy religiously because it's a, it's a devotion that that person has. And if you're a Christian, I hope people say that about you, not just in regards to the footy, but about your devotion to Jesus. He follows Jesus religiously. Um, Another definition of of religion is scrupulous conformity. Scrupulous is word of the day. Scrupulous conformity. And this definition speaks more to the heart of the negative side, which we'll look at tonight. And lastly, another definition of religion is to bind. To bind. So deep engagement with practices of faith. So as the message title suggests tonight, I am religiously non-religious. However, in some sense, I am deeply religious. I am committed. I have committed my life to Jesus Christ. No area, not a single area of my life is not touched by my faith in Jesus. I am devoted to Him. I've made a commitment to Him. I'm devoted to God's Word. I'm devoted to God's people. I've made a commitment to God's church. And I'm intentionally and daily engaging with the teachings of Jesus and trying to be more like Him. 
I identify with the religion of Christianity because I identify with the life, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And anything I know and can know of God comes from the Bible, a religious text which is holy, supernatural and the God-breathed, inspired Word of God. But I'm religiously non-religious. When religion becomes things that I do to earn God's approval. I'm religiously non-religious when religion becomes behaviours that I do to impress people. When I use God to control people. When I use God for my own gain, when I have a use of the church for my own personal gain, when I use the teachings of Jesus to hurt rather than to heal. I'm religiously non-religious when religion becomes going through the motions. What do I mean by that? Doing what Christians do without being truly what one is. Expressions without faith. Knowing the acts of God, but not the ways of God. Having the behaviours, but without the transformation. Having the instructions, giving the instructions without the heart. I'm religiously non-religious when it's wanting others to follow Jesus and His teachings because of how it affects me. I'm religiously non-religious when I've got the goal of getting to heaven with no care of who else comes. I'm religiously non-religious when I have the desire, if it means having the desire to get into a paradise called heaven without the desire to walk with a person called Jesus. So religion means to bind. And I think where religion gets such a toxic connotation is because we've had issues of who does the binding. The binding should be the individual's choice to bind with practices of faith, with a commitment to God. But historically what has happened in different, uh, even groups of our faith and certainly in other faiths, And in certain countries, the government or the church has bound people to their faith with Jesus. The individual didn't want to, but that didn't matter. We will bind you to practices of faith. And a a historical example close to home for us is in the city of Montreal. Uh, Great injustice happened. And, you know, I think the devil had a great win in that city historically through toxic religion, binding people to behaviours without connecting them to the person of Jesus Christ. So we've got a screen, we're going to put up its religion versus devotion. And we've just got three points here. And I think they're going to come up in a moment. We've got bound to behaviours versus devoted to God. That's the difference. We've got earning and we've got receiving. And then we've got pursuing holiness versus pursuing Christ. Religion in the negative toxic sense is you are bound to behaviours, you're earning your connection to God and you're pursuing holiness. When if we are in devotion to Jesus, we have a relationship with Him, it looks like a devotion to God. I'm receiving what I have and I'm pursuing the person of Jesus Christ. We can pull that down. Religiosity is when we do the expressions without the right motive. We do the expressions without faith and we do the expressions without conviction. And we can be the tail wagging the dog where we're trying to assign meaning to certain religious behaviours when we should be behaving out of devotion to God. A few weekends ago, uh, I preached a message on financial devotion to God. And I spent the majority of the time talking about the biblical principle of the tithe or the concept of the tithe. And I said this statement, 
and people were dancing in the aisles. I said, if you feel obligated or pressured to give financially at church, we'd prefer you didn't. And afterwards, a few people thanked me in jest and they said, thank you, pastor. Um, I'll stop now. <laughs> now that you've told me I don't have to give, I won't. And, and I had the thought of, oh no, the finance team are going to come after me. But listen, church, that point is so important of not having to in all areas of faith. Because here's what it does. It releases you from obligation and releases you into devotion. Toxic religion. Toxic religion is seeking to rob you of devotion by making it an obligation. You don't have to do anything. You can choose to for the glory of God. Can the eighth row say amen? All right. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 3. It's going to come up for us on the screen. It says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. Sounds like YouTube. Verse five, the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Some have departed from these and have turned to meaningless talk. They wanna be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. We know that the law is good if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, for those practising homosexuality, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which He entrusted to me. In the New Testament, everybody, no group gets challenged, some translations say roasted, uh, by Jesus more than the Pharisees. No group of people gets roasted more by Jesus than the Pharisees and they're known as the religious leaders. Um, Some content from my study Bible, which explained them so well said this, they did not, this is speaking of the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they did not follow God with a pure heart. Their religion was not true worship of God, rather it was rooted in a prideful heart. The religious leaders added to God's law, making it a burden. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount emphasises the true intent of the law over the letter of the law. Listen to this, the scribes and Pharisees emphasise the letter, completely missing its spirit. You know, their speech and their dress, the Pharisees, was like a big flashing sign, letting everyone know who was in and who was out, complete with finger pointing and finger wagging, They showed contempt for people who could not live up to their own high standards, almost classifying people into an us and them. Here's what the Bible tells us about the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. They were self-seeking, greedy and full of pride. They were forgetting the greater issues of mercy, love and compassion. And then in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus just absolutely wrecks the Pharisees. The, the, The chapter is called, Jesus Condemns the Religious Leaders. And he's teaching us today from this text 
as he was wrecking them all those years ago. Now I've created the highlights of the whole chapter for us tonight. We're not gonna read the whole of Matthew 23. Um, And now I'm quietly a fan of the UFC and what they sometimes do, if there's a huge fight, they'll take a 25 minute fight, they'll condense it to two minute highlights. And so I've condensed this beat down into a highlight reel of Jesus on the religious leaders. Listen to what Jesus says to these people. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. Pharisees, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. (laughs) It gets worse. You give a tenth of your spices, but you've neglected the more important matters of the Lord, justice, mercy and faithfulness. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones and everything that is dead and unclean. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And you say, if we had lived in those days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of prophets. Jesus says, so you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered prophets. Go ahead then, complete what your ancestors started. He closes with this nice statement. You snakes, you brood of vipers, how will you escape being condemned to hell? Welcome to church. That was the highlights. If you wanna get the full 25 minute fight, Matthew 23, it's hardcore. Listen to this, in the breakdown, here's the tale of the tape. In that chapter, there's seven woes to the Pharisees. Someone say, whoa. They are called hypocrites, blind, children of hell, a brood of vipers and whitewashed tombs. You know what we don't see in Scripture? We never see Jesus talk to sinners like that. We only see Him talk to religious people like that. In verse 23 of that chapter, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. The, the Bible tells us they were tithing on their cumin, on the spice of cumin. Are there any Christians here tonight so devoted to God that you tithe on your Himalayan pink salt? That's literally what they were doing. You go to the kitchen, you get the pink salt shaker, you're like, I tithe on everything, get 10% out of the salt shaker. They tithed on their cumin. But Jesus said they neglected the greater issues of mercy, love and compassion. You know, my son's name's Micah and in his bedroom, we've got a scripture from Micah that's on the wall. And it relates so well to what I'm talking about tonight because in Micah's bedroom is Micah chapter six, verse eight. And I'm gonna read this. And what's so interesting about this is this scripture, the Pharisees had access to it at the time. They knew this scripture. It says this, "'With what shall I come before the Lord "'and bow down before the exalted God? "'Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, "'with calves a year old? "'Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, "'with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? "'Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, "'the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul?' Then it ends with this, which is up in Micah's bedroom. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly 
and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This is an Old Testament scripture the Pharisees would have known. And the passage is literally saying, do you want the firstborn? Do you want a thousand calves? Do you want a a river full of oil? Do you want 10% of the Himalayan pink salt? Do you want me to tithe the cumin? He summarises it with, this is what God requires of you. Act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. What do modern day religious people look like? It's behaviours to impress people. It's the use of God for my own gain. It's the use of the church for my personal gain. It's using God to control people. It's using the teachings of Christ to hurt rather than to heal. It's going through the motions. It's doing what Christians do without being truly what one is. It's wanting others to follow Jesus and His teaching because of how it affects you. It's the goal of getting to heaven with no care of who else comes. It's the desire to get into a paradise called heaven without the desire to walk with a person called Jesus. That was the same list from earlier. (laughs) It's the classic telling everyone else what they should be doing when you haven't listened to what God is saying to you. It's the classic revival to the nations and forgoing that God wants revival in you. It's trying to bring to the masses on the outside what God is trying to bring to you on the inside. If we're not careful, we too can be more active in seeing Christ in the behaviours of others than Christ on the throne of our heart. I'll say that again. If we're not careful, we too can be more active in seeing Christ in the behaviours of others than Christ on the throne of our heart. This is very important. We're annoyed by people's ignorance when we should be grieved by their sin. We're annoyed by people's ignorance when we should be grieved by their sin. We should have empathy for their brokenness, not jokes for their issues. That's what that looks like. A modern day religious person has jokes for the issues rather than empathy for the brokenness. We're annoyed by lost people's ignorance rather than grieved by their sin. We should have empathy for their brokenness, not jokes for their issues and give more effort to the issues in me. Now, one strange thing my generation says about Pharisees, particularly online Get ready. You've probably heard this or said this if you're between the age of 21 and 40. Religious leaders tried to change people. Jesus tried to love them. So religious leaders tried to change people. Jesus tried to love them. And you know what Jesus was trying to do through his love? Change them. They say Jesus wasn't trying to change them. He was trying to love them. You know what he's trying to love them to? Godly change. And listen, much more than just change or improvement, faith in Christ walking with Jesus isn't a new haircut. It's a brand new start. In fact, you're not just new again, you're born again. It's start again. It's from the ground up, everything about you is different. Christ's love is there to change us into who we are called to be. I love this quote from Dave Ruse. It's gonna come up on the screen. He said, if you accuse somebody as impure, You're not saying purity doesn't matter. You're saying the opposite. There's a better way to achieve it. If you accuse somebody as impure, you're not saying purity doesn't matter. You're saying the opposite. There's a better way to achieve it. And the the way to achieve it is through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying only I can make you clean. Colossians 2 verse 1 is gonna come up on the screen. It says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. 
My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse four, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I'm absent from you in body, I'm present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Last verse, verse 8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Listen to this bit, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. You know, we were warned about what would creep into the church. We were warned about what would creep into culture and society. Human tradition, elemental spiritual forces. No wonder we've got Christians sleeping with crystals next to their bed that are somehow supposed to help them. No wonder we've got people bound to human traditions and eating certain things on certain days so they can receive a certain blessing. We were warned about all of this. It's what can I do to be right before God? What can I do to be holy? How can I help others do the same? Because others need to do the same. Because they should do the same. Because they must do the same. In fact, I'm going to tell them they must do the same. I say all that to say this. I am personally, religiously non-religious because I'm devoted to not being conformed to behaviours, but united with Christ. I'm devoted to not being conformed to behaviours, but united with Christ. I'm not being conformed into a fleshly religious image of what I think could draw me to God or what I think will impress people. I'm not being conformed into a fleshly image. I'm being transformed into Christ's likeness by the washing of the Word of God. I'm free from the approval of people because in Christ and because of Him, I'm approved. I don't need a big hat. I don't need a dog collar. I can eat steak on Friday. My, my condition is not determined by my behaviour or by the determinations of people. I am who God says I am. I am not my past sins and I'm not even tomorrow's failings. I'm a new creation and God is taking me forward in His ways each and every day. I'm religiously non-religious. I'm committed to a non-religious way of thinking because every day God is taking me away from who I was and who I thought I was and into who He designed me to be. Now, unfortunately, that is not true of everybody in this room. How I just described myself may not be the way you can describe yourself. And that's because not everybody in this room has been born again. Not everybody in this room has been set free. Not everybody has been relieved of the weight of religion because you've not stepped into that relationship with Jesus Christ yet. Not everyone in this room has received eternal life and salvation through faith in Jesus. And maybe that's because you're perhaps trying to earn your way in or perhaps in your eyes, you don't wanna be in. You don't need it. But I wanna tell you that you being here tonight is a, is a supernatural opportunity for you to hear this statement. You need salvation. You need forgiveness 
And Jesus Christ in His love, grace and mercy has that all available to you tonight. Life's goodness, maybe the things that you have, have perhaps lulled you into a false sense of well-being and security. When the reality is, is that your soul is in desperate need of the salvation that is only found in Jesus Christ. And it's so good that you're here because God in His love is reaching out to you tonight. God in His grace and His mercy, despite the things that you've done in His love, He's reaching out to you tonight. And He's not asking you to take upon yourself a huge list of things that you must do and must say and must wear and must go. There's no pilgrimage for you to have to go on because the, re- the, the reality is, is that Jesus Christ took a pilgrimage from heaven to earth to pay the price that you and I would have had to pay, but He did it for us. So there's nothing you have to do because Jesus did it. And there's no pilgrimage you have to go on because Jesus was already on it. And you have an opportunity tonight to receive salvation, not because of something that you have to do, but because of something that you can receive because of what Christ did. You know, what religion would trick us into is that you can't approach God until X, Y, Z. But the great news, the Gospel is, God in His love is approaching you tonight. And because of His Son, Jesus Christ, you can receive salvation. And it's as simple as responding, believing and confessing. And I'd love to just close with this Scripture as we get ready to close in just a moment. It's going to come up on the screen. Romans 10 verse 5, uh, uh, sorry, Romans 10 verse 9 says, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As Scripture says, anyone who believes in Him will never be put to shame. For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You need forgiveness of your sins. You can have eternal life with God the Father in heaven and you just need to call on the name of Jesus. You need to call on Him tonight and receive what He's offering you in His love and His grace. And tonight you can experience a supernatural miracle if you would call on His name. So why don't we just stand together, everybody, right across the room. We'll just stand to our feet. And I'd love to invite you to close your eyes. And I'm asking you to close your eyes just so you can focus on this moment and give this opportunity your full attention. Because in this moment tonight, if you would call on the name of the Lord, if you would believe and confess through prayer, you can tonight receive forgiveness, salvation and eternal life. You don't have to do any sort of religious duty, religious actions, religious practice. We're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us and special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.